good to see everyone tonight. It's past time for us to begin. We will begin with the word of prayer. Do I have someone picked out to do our reading tonight? Uh, David, you're going to do that? All right, fantastic. All right, let's bow together and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Our dear Father in heaven, we're so very thankful, Lord, for this day of life you've blessed us with. Our Father, we are thankful for the good congregation we have that meets here at Willow. We're thankful for her elders. We're thankful for the teachers and the workers that we have. We pray, Father, that you'll be with us and guide us, that we can make decisions that are good, that are right, that we will stand as a shining light in this community. We pray, Father, that we will always put the saving of souls first in our lives. We pray that we will glorify you in everything that we do, especially by our actions, keeping ourselves free from sin. We're thankful, Father, that, that as we walk in the light, we remain clean by the blood of Jesus and that we can look forward to a home in heaven when this life is over. We ask, Lord, that you'll be with us through our class tonight. Please bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Acts chapter 10, and it's been a few weeks since we have done the memory work, so let's do that. We are Actually, we're going to finish Acts 10 and get into 11, and we've only got the chart going through chapter 11, so uh, Nick, I'll be gone next week. I'm speaking in Branson, Missouri next Wednesday night. And then we will go through 12 and get the rest of the book. So Acts chapter 1 is the letter A. And what does that stand for? Two, two, two words, apostle and ascension. A new apostle is chosen to replace Judas, and Jesus ascends back into heaven. Acts chapter 2 is the letter B. Beginning of the church. Acts chapter 3 is the letter C. The, the crippled man. Acts chapter 4 is the letter D. The disciples are detained for healing the crippled man. Acts chapter 5 is the letter E. Evil companions. And who would that be? Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 6. Seven men chosen to fix. That is, seven men were picked out to fix the problem they were had with, with the uh, Grecian widows. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is stoned, looks to heaven. You've got his sermon. At the end of the chapter, they stone him to death, and he looks to heaven and sees Jesus on the right hand of God. Acts chapter 8, two men who don't wait. You've got two conversion accounts in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9, Saul is struck blind. You've got the conversion of Saul. Three times in the book of Acts, you've got Saul's conversion. Acts 9, 22, and 26. Acts chapter 10... Gentiles began. That is, it is the Acts 2 for the Gentiles is Acts 10. And then Acts chapter 11, Gentiles can go to heaven. And that is, it's kind of a retelling of Acts chapter 10, not kind of, that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 11. And so, does this help, doesn't this help to remember what's in the book of Acts? If you can remember these, you've got a good idea of what's taking place in the book of Acts. All right, we are in the end of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 2, the church begins for the Jews. The Jews obey the gospel. Acts chapter 10 is when the Gentiles first have the opportunity to obey the gospel. How much time transpires between Acts 2 and Acts 10? Several years, it's a little bit ambiguous, but... Somewhere between 10 and 20 years. I think somewhere around 15 years. Now, 
You might think, why in the world does the Lord go so long between Acts 2 and Acts 10? That is the introduction of the Jews and then the Gentiles. But this is a hard transition, bringing the Gentiles into the church. And so the Lord is letting the church get well established with the Jews before reaching out to the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a miraculous vision. It is the sheet being let down from heaven. It's got animals in it that Jews typically were not allowed to eat. And the Lord says, arise, kill, and eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I've never done that. It happens three times. Then, as Peter is pondering it, stressing out, literally, about what it ha has happened, an angel speaks to him and says, there's some men downstairs that God has sent to you. Go and see them. And so Peter goes. These are men that came from Cornelius' house. He leaves Joppa. He goes to Caesarea to the house of Cornelius. And when he gets there, he begins to speak the word of the Lord to Cornelius' house. He speaks for about 60 seconds. And the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his household. They begin to speak in other tongues. And that's about where we left off last week. So we're going to pick up at Acts chapter 10 and verse number 45. And uh, let me mention this before we do. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and they receive what we would say is Holy Spirit baptism. Some people say the fact that they received the Holy Spirit proves that they were saved. I'm not going to repeat everything we did last week because we spent 15 minutes talking about this, but the Holy Spirit falling upon them did not prove that they were saved. We looked at five reasons last week. Number one, the Holy Spirit uh, falling on people, the purpose of that never was to prove salvation. That's not what it was about. Mark 16 and verse 20 says the Holy Spirit came upon them to confirm and reveal the Word. Hebrews 2 and verse 3 says that the Word was confirmed by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit falling upon a person never was for the purpose of proving that they were saved. Now, before we pick up on verse 45, if the Holy Spirit falling upon them was not to prove that they were saved, why did the Holy Spirit fall upon Cornelius and his household? Okay. When you start in Acts 10, you've got a series of events Every one of these is to change the Jews' minds about this. Peter has this vision about things that they typically were not allowed to eat, and Peter says, these things are unclean. And the Lord said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. He's trying to get this across. And then an angel appears to Cornelius and says, go to Peter. And then an angel appears to Peter and says, go with Cornelius. Why? The Lord is saying, this is all from me. I, I sanction this. Then Peter gets to Cornelius' house, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they begin to speak in other tongues. This is a massive, massive sign. Now, why was that? Because it was going to take something massive to convince the Jews that God accepted the Gentiles. Even after this takes place, through the rest of the New Testament, you're going to see that the Jews are going to struggle with this. So the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They are convinced. All right, pick up at verse 45, Acts 10 and verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, 
as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Okay. As many, it says, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter. So when Peter left Joppa and he went to Caesarea to Cornelius' house, he had a few Jews that came with him. And so they're all witnesses. And so Peter and these Jews see the Holy Spirit fall upon them, and the Bible says they are astonished at this. Literally, this Greek word means that they were beside themselves. They are freaking out about this. The Holy Spirit is falling on the Gentiles? And notice what they said. It says, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Now, here's my question. What was the gift of the Holy Spirit that had been poured out on the Gentiles? Okay, he says it's the same as what happened to us in the beginning. What happened to them in the beginning? What did he see that happened to Cornelius that made him say, hey, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the Gentiles? Did the Holy Spirit come into to his heart? Is that what he saw? What did Peter and the Jews see that astonished them? They started speaking in other tongues. And when they saw them speaking in other tongues, two things. Number one, they said, that's the same thing that happened to us. Number two, they identified that as the gift of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you saw that phrase, gift of the Holy Spirit? It's in Acts chapter 2. Peter and the apostles were speaking in tongues, and they told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? We have it. You're asking, what is it? You repent and be baptized, and you'll receive it. The next time we see this phrase is here. They began to speak in tongues, and they said, wait a minute. That's the same thing that happened to us. They also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. What would you conclude from these passages is the gift of the Holy Spirit? That's sure what it seems like to me. In fact, I want you to look at this. I'm going to skip way ahead here to a chart. I've been make, you can see I've been making charts like crazy. Before I came here, I never used PowerPoint, but now I found I really like it. It really helps, and I, I, I go crazy making PowerPoint. But I just searched the phrase, gift of the Holy Spirit, and then I just searched the phrase gift, and I just did a copy-paste of it. I want you to look at this. This is just in order. I didn't... Pick, I didn't pick and choose anything particular. This is just the way they popped up. In Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's that talking about? When you get to Acts 10, they're going to say, they got the same gift as us. They're speaking in tongues. Now look at Acts 8 and verse 20. This is, of course, in Samaria when uh, Simon the sorcerer obeys the gospel. But Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. He said that to Simon. What was the gift that Simon was trying to purchase with money? Yeah, it's, it's miraculous, right? All right, the next time this appears is in Acts 10, 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. What is that gift? 
same thing, speaking in tongues. Then the next time you're going to see this phrase is Acts 11:17. If therefore God gave the same gift as he gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? What's he referring back to? He's talking about what happened in Acts 10, the speaking in tongues. Then the next time you're going to see this phrase or this word is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. The apostle Paul writes to the Romans and says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. What's he talking about? Paul is saying to the Romans, I want to come to Rome as an apostle and lay hands on you that you can receive spiritual gifts. Why did he have to do that? Because the only way they were going to get spiritual gifts is by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So I thought it was interesting. I just pulled a, a section out. Every time you see the word gift here, it's referring to something that is miraculous. Okay, what we see here in verse 45 is they saw the miraculous gifts and they are shocked. Toby? Okay. Yeah, um, Toby's pointing out in Acts chapter 2 with the apostles, there was uh, cloven tongues, like it looked like fire on their heads. Did that happen here? I don't know. Um, it doesn't say that, so I'm not sure, but is it possible? Maybe, because they said the same thing that happened to us is happening to them, so um, I, I certainly couldn't say that did not happen. All right, now in verse number 45, he said that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Now, verse 46, he says, for, the word for here is the Greek word gar. It means the reason that we're saying that is they heard them speak in tongues. The reason they said we see that they've received the Holy Spirit is because they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. All right? Then Peter answered and said, uh, verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Okay, this is the whole point. When Peter sees that they have received the Holy Spirit, Peter is shocked, the Jews are shocked, and Peter gets the point. And he says, God's accepted them. Can any forbid water? Surely they should be allowed to become Christians. Surely they should allowed, be allowed to be baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit. God has given them the Holy Spirit. How can we forbid that they not be baptized? Isn't that the point of the Holy Spirit falling on them? Yes, that's what it's all about. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. All right, and they baptized them in the name of the Lord. It's interesting, it says, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. What kind of baptism is done in the name of the Lord? You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The baptism that's in the name of the Lord, that's in the name of Jesus Christ, is the baptism that's for the remission of sins. So what do you see here? Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius. He wasn't saved by that. He's still in his sins. But it impressed upon Peter's mind, 
gods except to the Gentiles. And he said, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized? And they baptized them in the name of the Lord. That is the baptism for the remission of sins. And they became Christians. Any questions or comments about this before we go into chapter 11? This is such an important chapter in the New Testament because it's where the uh, gospel began for all of us. I think probably everyone in here would be a Gentile. All right, Acts chapter 11, we're going to review some of this because you're going to have the repeating of it. So let's begin in Acts chapter 11 and verse 1, David. And the apostles and brethren who were, who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying... Okay, stop right there for a minute. It says the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So somehow word gets back to the apostles and all the Jews. Were they thrilled about that? Did they say, all right, the Gentiles have become Christians? Was that their attitude? No, that's not their attitude at all. As a matter of fact, when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, the Bible says those of the circumcision, that means the Jews, it says they contended with him. It's interesting when you look at some of these words in the Greek, the word contended suggests a separation. It's in the imperfect tense middle voice, which indicates that they had a battle between them that raged on for a while. They had a knockdown, drag out debate amongst themselves about this. What this means is when Peter got back, it was something like this. Peter, what in the world were you doing? You're an apostle, man. You went down there and you ate with the Gentiles and you went into, into their house and you baptized these guys into the church? They had a serious problem with this. Remember to them, if he went in and ate with the, the Gentiles, he was defiled. This man's an apostle and he did this. They had a knockdown, drag out fight about this. Verse 3. Saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay. See the exclamation point? You went in to the uncircumcised and you ate with them. What are you thinking, Peter? Verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying... All right. Now, Peter is going to explain it. I want you to notice that it says, in order, from the beginning... Acts chapter 11 is going to be more chronologically precise than Acts chapter 10. You know, sometimes in the Bible, you have things that are told, but they're not necessarily told in order. And you see this a lot in the Gospels, where things will be in different order, because the author is just telling you the key facts that you need to know, not necessarily in order. And it seems that Acts 10 is maybe a little bit off, but in Acts chapter 11... It carries with it the idea. In fact, the Greek phrase there means one after one in sequence of time. That means very precisely in Acts chapter 11, he's going to tell you, bam, 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 bam. This is exactly how it went down. All right? Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance, and I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. Keep going for a bit. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, 
What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Okay, now just notice this. What's Peter doing? He's walking them through what he went through. Peter had to be convinced himself, so he says, let me tell you about the trance, and I had this vision, and the Lord said this to me, and these men showed up, and then the angel spoke to me, and then chapter 11, verse 12, he's going to say, and the Spirit told me to go. I, I didn't just do this willy-nilly. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to doubt it, and so he's walking them through this step by step. And remember, Peter's not alone. He's got several other Jews with him that were witnesses to this fact. All right, chapter, uh, verse 12. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send me to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Okay. He said, when I got to uh, Caesarea... I met this man, and he told me that an angel appeared to him and sent him to me. All this is meshing. Peter is lining this up. He's got six witnesses with him, credible men. And he said, I was supposed, notice verse 14, I was supposed to go and tell him words whereby he would be saved. Now, that seems like such a simple phrase, but this is actually very important words whereby he was going to be saved. Cornelius' house was not going to be saved by some abstract outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were going to be saved by words. What does that mean? He was going to tell them that they had to do something, and then they were going to have to respond to that. I was going to tell them words whereby they were going to be saved. All right? Verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. As, oh, as on us at the beginning. I cut you off. Sorry about that. All right. This is also very important. Peter says, as I began to speak. I looked this up in detail in the Greek, and it carries with it the idea at the very beginning. I had just gotten started is what it means. Now, when you know that he's laying this out chronologically, this is very important because Cornelius, is, he's the very first Gentile convert. He doesn't know what to do to be saved. And so the Holy Spirit said, Peter's going to come, and he's going to tell you words whereby you'll learn how to be saved. He doesn't have faith. He doesn't have an understanding. He doesn't know any of these things. But Peter's going to tell him. Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as on us at the beginning. How long had he been speaking? when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. He says, as I began to speak. I don't know how long he'd been speaking. I mentioned to you when we were in chapter 10, some of this is a repeat because it's a retelling, but in Acts 10, if you look at where he began to speak, I just read it and timed it just at a, a slow speaking voice. It took me about 60 seconds. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Was it 60 seconds and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them, or was it sooner than that? I don't know. But if I was speaking for 60 seconds and something happened, I think I could say I had just begun to speak, and that happened. So Peter is going to go, and he's going to teach them the gospel, give them the words whereby they could be saved. 
He's 60 seconds into his lesson, or 60 seconds into his speaking, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Now, this is why this is so important. It is commonly taught in the denominational world that the fact that the Holy Spirit fell upon them proves that they were saved. If they were saved at this point, they don't even have faith at this point because Peter had just started speaking. He's going to come and teach them the gospel and give them words whereby they could be saved. He's only spoken at the most about 60 seconds. Do you think you could go to a brand new convert, someone who has never heard the gospel, someone who has never learned these things, speak to them for 60 seconds, and they're saved? That doesn't make any sense. And so the argument that is commonly made here is this. It will be said, since the Holy Spirit fell upon them before they were baptized, that proves that they were saved before they were baptized. Well, if that's true, it also proves that they were saved before they had faith because they didn't even have time to have faith yet. Peter says, as I began to speak. Now, I think the Holy Spirit very intentionally puts these things in here for us. This isn't an accident that the Lord put this in for us. All right, Peter says, as I began to speak, and then he says this, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it did us when? At the beginning. The beginning of what? Yeah, the beginning of the church. When the church started in Acts chapter 2. And so all of this goes back to Acts chapter 2. All right? Then verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Okay. So whatever happened to the apostles at the beginning, the Holy Spirit fell, they began to speak in tongues. He says we received that same gift. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in a lot of things, but do you remember in Acts chapter 2, about verse 17, when Peter started to speak in tongues and all the apostles were speaking in tongues, and people said, what is this? What, what meaneth this? And some people said, oh, they're drunk. And Peter said, no, we're not drunk. This is that that was prophesied by Joel. That is, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your young men and your, your, uh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And then he says, particularly what I want you to get is I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That is a prophecy about the Jews and the Gentiles. It's not just the descendants of Abraham. It's going to be all flesh. That means everybody. That mean, doesn't mean every single person in the world, but it means Jews and Gentiles, not just the descendants of Abraham, but all flesh, and this is where it gets fulfilled, is in Acts chapter 10. All right, verse, I mean, yeah, Acts 10. All right, verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. All right. When they heard, when Peter told the whole story, and he told about the, the visions and the miracles, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they were baptized, they said, all right, well, if that's the case, and God has given them the Holy Spirit, and you saw the evidence, and they spoke in tongues, then they said, we accept it. And they glorified God on this behalf. 
it is interesting because if you go back to the Old Testament, it was prophesied over and over and over that God was going to accept the Gentiles, but they never got it. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 12 when God said to Abraham that it, because through thy seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed? When he said all nations of the earth shall be blessed through your seed, Abraham, you know what that was a prophecy of? Gentiles. It never clicked with them. They thought it was only going to be the Jews. You remember in Daniel 2.44 when we, uh, Daniel dreamed about, or has this, he's interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about uh, this kingdom that would be set up and all the nations of the world would flow to it. You know what that was a prophecy about? It's the Gentiles. Over and over through the Old Testament, prophecies about the Gentiles. They just didn't get it. It just didn't click with them. All right, now here's a key thing I want you to get from verse 18. It says that when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying that God has granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. Can you repent and get eternal life? Is that all you have to do is repent and get eternal life? What if I pick out this verse and say, hey, this verse says, repent and you get eternal life. I believe what the Lord said. Let me see. Yeah, I did make one. Are we saved by repentance? I just picked out a few verses here. There's so many of these in the New Testament, but Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 says that belief is unto righteousness. Uh, Acts 11 and verse 18, the verse we're looking at right now, says repentance is unto life. Romans 10.10 10 says confession is unto salvation. Acts 2.38 says that baptism is unto the forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.35, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted of him. I know we've, uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but this is such a very important point when you're trying to teach people because very often, in fact, most of the time when you try to teach folks, they will pick out one verse that says, believe and you shall be saved. The first step, that's all. And what you have in the Bible is what is called a synecdoche. That is, one part represents the whole. Here, he picks repentance. That is, the Gentiles can repent and have eternal life. He doesn't mean that's all they have to do is repent, but he picks out one step. Belief is used more often than the others because it's the first step. But we could give many examples of this. But All right, let's, uh, let's keep going here. Verse number, uh, where are we, 19? 19. 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Okay. When he goes to verse 19, he says, Now those who were scattered abroad after the persecution that arose over Stephen, you all remember what he's talking about there? Do you remember back in Acts chapter 8? In fact, Acts chapter 7. What happens in Acts chapter 7? Stephen is stoned. He's put to death. In Acts chapter 8, the very first verse, the first four verses, says that because of this persecution 
that started with Stephen, that the disciples in Jerusalem were scattered abroad, and Acts 8 and verse 4 says they went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 11 and verse 19 is a flashback to that. And so he just brings it up again. He says, now those who were scattered abroad after the persecution arose about Stephen, he says they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word of God to no one but the Jews only. And I put up a little map here showing where they left Jerusalem and they go to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they start going everywhere. That is Acts 8 and verse 4. They went everywhere preaching the word. But it says to the Jews only. Why? Because in Acts chapter 2, that's what they thought they were doing. In fact, this is probably several years have passed. These people have traveled, they're preaching, but only to the Jews. All right, now verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, this is actually a verse over which there is some textual variance. And what I mean by that is, depending on which manuscripts you get, you're going to get a different reading here. Verse 20 says, but some of them, verse 19 says they went and preached to the Jews only. Verse 20 says, but some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went and spoke, the King James indicates to the Hellenist. What that means is they went and spoke to Jews who spoke Greek, Greek-speaking Jews. That is, they're still speaking to, to Jews only, but Jews who spoke Greek. If you read the American Standard and some others, it says Greeks, which would mean that they went out and started teaching Gentiles. I have read some arguments about this, and people are just kind of split 50-50 over what this means. I don't know that it's a big deal, but uh, based on the chronology of it, it seems to me we're told about the conversion of Cornelius. I think what happens is, at this point, some have gone and kept teaching the Jews, and some have started teaching the Gentiles at this point. All right, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, the hand of the Lord was with them probably is a reference to miraculous abilities because everywhere they went, they were doing miracles. Why? To confirm the word, Mark 16, 20, Hebrews 2 and verse 3. Because it's a new message, they had to have proof from God. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number, now notice this, believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is, there's a lot of little phrases like this that don't seem like they're important, but when you start teaching people, these things become very important. Because for people who believe that it's faith only, that as soon as you have faith, you are saved, there's some key phrases like this that are important. They believed and they turned to the Lord. What does that mean? They had to do something else. They believed and they, were turned, and they turned to the Lord. So they weren't saved immediately at the point of belief. They were saved and they turned to the Lord. Now, this brought some other passages to my mind, uh, and I put them up here on the board. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. They repented, that is, in their heart, in their mind, and they were baptized. They have remission of sins. 
Acts 3.19, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Notice the parallel. Repent and be baptized, you get remission of sins. Repent and turn back, your sins are blotted out. So repent and repent, those are equivalent. Be baptized and turn back, those are equivalent. Remission of sins and sins blotted out are equivalent. So what do you have? Being baptized is equivalent to turning back. Now look at Acts 11.21. The hand of the Lord was, was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. What is the act in which a person turns to the Lord? It seems to be clear that it is baptism. What did Jesus say? He said, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. A great number believed, and they turned to the Lord. When you put parallel passages like this together, it teaches us these things. It's not faith only. They believed and they turned to the Lord. Okay, we'll stop there. Thank you very much.